check check mic check one two one two looks like this thing is working looks like this thing is on here we go headlines august 25th updates from the postmaster general's hearing regarding the usps wisconsin aches as protests erupt from yet another police shooting and the san francisco airport makes history before i get right into the show today i want to take a minute to explain what i'm doing here and frankly the point is pretty simple if you're someone like me who has a bunch of apps on your phone whether it's news apps social media apps sports apps whatever it is notifications are coming from them pretty frequently and you're flooded with a lot of information throughout the day oftentimes more so than you're ready to take in and when that happens particularly coming from the news people tend to skip over it and end up only knowing headlines, but not stories. So at the top of the hour, the goal is to help you overcome that. I'm gonna be sifting through the day's news, I'm gonna be staying up to date, and I'm gonna be picking three stories that basically, if you were to shut yourself out from the world for a whole day, but came back and for whatever reason listened to the show, and bless you if you did something like that, you should be pretty much good to go. We're going to be keeping stories short. We're going to be keeping stories relevant. We're going to be bringing in audio from sources whenever we can. And overall, we're just going to be having some fun. So thank you so much for joining. And as we'll be starting every show, good morning, good evening, good whatever time of the day you're listening to this. My name is Rahul Makijani, and you're tuned in to the very first episode of the Top of the Hour podcast. So our first story of the day covers updates around the political situation surrounding the United States Postal Service. So on Monday, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy testified in front of the House Oversight Committee and was subjected to, in my opinion, what was honestly just a whole lot of political theater. So for some context, for the past few months, Democrats have been calling the agency's failures intentional and a conspiracy plot to rig the election, while Republicans have been vocal as well calling it basically another hoax and regarding it as Russiagate 2.0. But on Monday, this entire show, Democrats vs. Republicans, was pretty much on full display. I'm going to play a clip here. Go ahead and take a listen to Democratic Congressman Jim Cooper from Tennessee accusing DeJoy of trying to help Trump's campaign. Do your mail delays fit Trump's campaign goal of hurting the post office, as stated in his tweets? Are your mail delays implicit campaign contributions? These types of questions. I'm here. I'm here to represent the postal service. It has nothing to do with. All my actions have to do with improvement into the postal service. May this. Am I the only one in this room that understands that we have a ten billion dollar a year loss? Breaking this down a little bit, it is important to provide some color on the situation. First and foremost, the Democratic representatives do actually have a legitimate reason to question Louis DeJoy's intentions and potential conflict of interest. For one, he was selected back in May by a board of governors that was fully appointed by President Trump. He has donated over $1.2 million to the Trump re-election fund, and he does have tens of millions of dollars in stake with a company that regularly contracts with the USPS. So obviously, couple reasons there that can bring his intentions into question 
But the other theatrical attacks by certain party members basically blaming DeJoy for all of the agency's problems are just untrue. Take a listen to Massachusetts Congressman Stephen Lynch's Oscar-worthy monologue accusing the Postmaster General of basically being the worst, and I mean the worst possible candidate, for the job. In an effort to apply the facts, the real facts, not the, not the alternative facts, based on what you have actually done, one can only reach, as a fact finder, we can only reach two conclusions. One, either through gross incompetence, you have ended the 240-year history of delivering the mail reliably on time, or the second conclusion that we could gather is that you're doing this on purpose, and that you're deliberately dismantling this once proud tradition. The gentleman's time has expired. The gentleman may answer his question. My, my last I, question is this. Thank you. What uh, the heck uh, are you doing? What you, the sir. heck are the you doing? Time- so, Mr. Factfinder was essentially suggesting there that DeJoy single-handedly drove the USPS into the ground. Honestly, that's just not objectively entirely true. The USPS has been in a financial bind for years for many different reasons, and he can't be the sole one responsible. He just got in in May. So yes, he and the agency have at large made many operational changes, and it's all been in the name of cost-cutting, and it's definitely fair to criticize the timing of these measures, but he came out a week ago essentially announcing that he's suspending them till after the election. And he's repeatedly been assuring voters that they can handle the influx of mail-in voting. Now, whether that's true from the USPS perspective is one question, and whether states can even handle the amount of mail-in voting that's coming is another question. But ultimately, what now, right? What, how does this matter to you? Well, first things first, register to vote online if you're in California by October 19th. And if you do that, you'll be getting a mail-in ballot regardless. Personally, I think the safest way to ensure both that you're COVID safe and you get your vote counted is just by dropping it off at a polling location. But if you really want to do it from your home, just make sure it's postmarked to your county office by election day. And hopefully, given the pressure and scrutiny on the USPS, they have time to figure this entire mess out. But we'll be keeping you updated as the story progresses. All right, so our next story of the day is frankly something I wish we didn't have to cover. It's honestly just another reminder of the state of policing in our nation and how far we have yet to go. But this one in particular came to light from a video that was posted on social media on Sunday, and it shows 29-year-old Jacob Blake, a black man, as the recent victim of a police shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Unfortunately, this situation is honestly something we've seen time and time again. You basically see officers approaching a black man, guns drawn, and family members and bystanders at the scene just screaming in panic. A couple moments later, the victim opens the door of his car, and seven shots are fired into his back. The victim was transported to a nearby hospital and is being treated in critical condition. He is expected to survive, but frankly, for most people, it's exhausting seeing situations happening like this over and over again without change. In response to the shooting, protesters stormed the streets in force. The officers were placed on administrative leave. And Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers announced Monday that he's calling the state legislator into a special session to take up the package of police reform that was proposed over two months ago. 
discussions of the package previously stalled, but go ahead and take a listen to the governor outlining some of the details within the bills. This package invests in community violence interruption program and works to address the issue of inappropriate use of force by individuals in law enforcement, prohibit dangerous police practices, build upon the work of the Law Enforcement Standards Board, and strengthens accountability measures. These are common sense policies that transcend political debate. And many of them have been embraced by community, state, and federal leaders on both sides of the aisle, including our neighbors in both Iowa and Minnesota, who have passed similar comprehensive, meaningful reforms. Some of the bills include mandatory de-escalation training, a ban of no-knock search warrants and chokeholds, and a $1 million grant for community orgs focused on outreach and conflict mediation. It is important to note that just because the governor called for a special session does not necessarily mean that the legislator is required to vote, and special sessions there have actually ended in the past within just minutes. But frankly, I mean, you take a look at the state of protests there right now, and things are crazy and understandably, right? People are outraged, buildings are on fire, the National Guard has been deployed, and the community pressure there is very much existent. So, I don't know, personally, I would be really surprised if reforms don't come and if reforms don't come quick. On the other side of things, civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who represented Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and more, is quickly becoming one of the nation's most prominent leaders in high-profile fights for justice. He was retained last night by Blake's family, and he'll be representing them in the case. But go ahead and take a listen to a powerful statement from Crump on CNN earlier today about what him, the family, and much of the nation want to see come out of this. We want him to be held fully accountable, all the officers who were responsible for this unnecessary, senseless shooting, to be held accountable, just like in George Floyd, where officers, if they did anything to aid in a bed, you want them to be held accountable. But most importantly, Wolf, what we want is a more just society where George Floyd has the opportunity to breathe, Breonna Taylor has the opportunity to sleep in peace, Ahmaud Arbery has the opportunity to run free, and now Jacob Blake has the opportunity to celebrate his son's birthday party like any father should without being shot by the police. So powerful words from the attorney there. And as usual, we'll be tracking and keeping you updated on the status of the investigations, the special session, the task force they created, all of the above as they progress. All right, switching things up a little bit, our last and final story of the day. This one is a little more positive. San Francisco Airport just announced on Monday the launch of the first rapid COVID-19 testing program for airport employees in the entire U.S. So tests are free. They happen right on site. The results are given to employees in less than an hour. And the officials said that the goal is eventually to extend the service to all passengers. So we need to take a minute here to recognize that this is real positive news for the airline industry. If y'all remember, the airlines took the biggest possible hit earlier this year, more so maybe than any other industry, and they really haven't had the quickest recovery either. 
So for them, you know, as more large airports around the country start to follow suit, hopefully they see a gradual ease of tension around people and more people start flying. So overall, shout out to San Francisco for leading the way. Shout out to airlines too. Hopefully it helps people feel more comfortable flying. And overall, we'll really just see if this helps or not. All right, that's going to do it for today's show, folks. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Please let me know some feedback, what you liked about the episode, didn't like, anything you'd like me to talk about. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be doing this thing. And as I'll be ending every episode, stay safe, stay informed. We'll see you here next time at the Top of the Hour podcast. Peace.